As I was writing and producing, as my career progressed, I fell in love with artist development. I fell in love with helping young artists, young songwriters, and not even necessarily young, less experienced or up and coming young artists and songwriters get to the next level of their career, whatever that was. Between the Grooves is hosted by James Curtis, music director and morning man in the greater Toronto area on Joy Radio, and Aisha Woods, Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, and musician. Together, they talk with artists and industry insiders to discover our connection between music and faith. You can connect with us on Facebook or Twitter, at Between Grooves. Now, here's James and Aisha. James, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. I'm excited because we get to talk to an old friend of mine today. And uh, this guy, like, we've written songs together with Goatee Records. And um, his journey is just so very unique. And I'm excited to talk with Aaron today. I'm a little nervous because this Why? this guy's a lawyer. He's an attorney. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't know. I just I kind of feel like I got to take my wallet out or something. You know, like this is going to cost <laughs> me. It's like, am I going to get a bill or whatever else? Like, just you know. And then you know, you want to make sure you don't. You know, hopefully there's you know lawyer client privilege where you know anything we say won't be used against us. That sort of thing. Oh my gosh. You know. <laughs> but yeah, it's always different from our normal conversations because we talk with sure. a lot of artists and people in the music business, marketing people, producers, mm-hmm. musicians. And this one's a little different because I don't think we've ever spoken with a lawyer before on Between the Grooves. Right. And so, like, having, I guess, the relationship here is the fact that he's an entertainment lawyer, but right. he didn't start out that way. And and so what you're saying is yeah. he's he's done music, and I guess we'll find out if he still does music, but um, he's now an entertainment lawyer, so he deals with a lot of the people he's dealt with in the past anyways. Sure, sure. So it will be interesting because uh, now I have to have a conversation with Aaron, seeing him in another light. Yeah. So it's going to be good. Yeah, well, let's get to it. Aaron Rice on Between the Grooves. I'm just glad it's not video, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all are. We all are. Aaron, this is James. Great to meet you. Hey, James. Nice to meet you as well. To get a lawyer uh, on the podcast without getting a bill for it, this is amazing. Uh, did, did we say there's no bill? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I now do do fine print really well. <laughs> right. Well, all lawyers do, don't they? Those, those contracts, let me tell you. Yep. Some of the pages on those contracts, it's like it's just gobbledygook to me. I I don't know what it all means. You know, I just hope it's it's like French. Yeah, exactly. Big, big secret. It's gobbledygook to us too. <laughs> there you go. So cut and paste it from some other contract. It must mean something. It must be important. Exactly. Right. 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 So um, I was mentioning to Aisha that uh, I was really looking forward to this conversation because I, I think it's the first time we've ever had a podcast with a lawyer. Uh, well, I'm uh, happy to be the first. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I, I guess that begs the question, why would anyone need a lawyer in the music business? Oh, I guess that's kind of obvious, isn't it? <laughs> that's a, that's a, a, a massive question. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, you do everything from um, representing musicians, I guess, in court, but also contract stuff. Um, you must be doing copyright things as well. What else do you do? Most of what I do, so entertainment law, uh, like you said, runs the gamut from in court to contracts to copyright registrations, all of that stuff. Most of my practice, um, given my background, centers around record deals, management contracts, publishing agreements. I work with actors. Um, I work with some athletes. Most of mine is transactional. I actually don't do a lot in the courtroom. I have colleagues who handle that, um, but most of mine is on the front end. And so you represent the artist versus the label in most cases? Most, yeah, most cases. There are some independent record labels that I do represent. But in most cases, I'm representing the artist or the songwriter or record producer. Um, I spent about 17 years as a full-time songwriter and record producer before going to law school. And so uh, my skill set is a little bit unique and uh, a little more naturally suited to representing, I guess, people who are my own. (laughs) Now, what made you go into entertainment law? Having oh, man. been a songwriter for so long, like what was I, what was the moment that made you go into it? I wish there were this, you know, man, I I missed so many royalties and this label just <laughs> stole from me. I, I don't have that story as much as <laughs> right um, as I was writing and producing as my career progressed. I fell in love with artist development. I fell in love with helping young artists, young songwriters, and not even necessarily young, um, less experienced or up and coming young artists and songwriters get to the next level of their career, whatever that was. And Mm -hmm. I fell in love with the negotiation side. That Mm. was um, a few years back, there was some new legislation that was introduced called the Music Modernization Act. And I was involved a little bit in those early, early conversations. I had nothing to do with what actually became, what actually got passed and became law. Um, but it was just kind mm-hmm. of the norm, the, the early conversations in the songwriting community in Nashville. And, and I remember, I, it was probably 2015 or 2016, I read a stat that said there are something like 85 to 90% less full-time songwriters in America than there were just 10 years earlier. And I was Gee, like, man, if something doesn't happen, just songwriting as a career is going to be almost done. And right. I just was like, this is something I can do. I can help protect songwriters' rights. But also, I remember what it was like signing my first publishing deal. And mm-hmm. I loved my lawyer. I had the same lawyer my entire career. But I wanted to get to a point where, you know what? I've sat on your side of the table. I've right. signed major publishing deals, recouped major publishing deals. And I want to, I want to go to bat for our community. So that's what it was. Honestly, mm-hmm. I was driving down the, the interstate in Nashville. It's all signed for the Nashville school of law. And it was like an aha moment. I called my wife. I was like, Oh my go gosh. And, and awesome. I did not know what she was going to say, but she was like, yes, you'll be great. <laughs> so I did. So when you're dealing yeah. with these contracts, are they, I mean, do you start with a cookie-cutter contract that you have on file, or do you start from scratch, or is it a process where the label says, here's our standard contract, and you work with that and then and modify from there? 
Uh, yes all to all. Yes. Okay. <laughs> typically, typically, when you're representing an artist, <laughs> when you represent an artist or, or a, a songwriter, the label or publisher comes to you with a contract, and then it is uh, then I'm just reviewing and negotiating and saying, no way we're signing this. Uh, we need to adjust this, 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 so that, right. but then sometimes, you know, with my producer clients, uh, we are providing the contract, you know, they want to go produce a, a new song for, for Aisha or whoever. Um, then it's like, Hey, we've got to provide the contract that, that lays out the terms that we're doing. And you know, what's funny is even before law school, when I was a producer, I did things without a contract. And I used to think, mm-hmm. well, if we trusted each other, we don't need a contract. And that's not true. It right. really contract. It, 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 I feel like um, I feel like an inspirational speaker when I'm always like communication is kindness. But clearly communicating mm-hmm. really does set it up. But not only that, it's not just in case something goes wrong in the relationship between the parties. It's in the in the event of catastrophe. You know, if if a, if an artist yeah. or a producer you know, is unable to fulfill their contract for whatever reason, illness, injury, you know, God forbid death, you know, whatever. Yeah. Then it lays out how we finish this. Um, Right. What I don't like is templates. I don't like starting with a template. I don't mind starting with a template, but I don't like saying, here's your template. Use this for, uh, for all your, your production clients or all your Mm -hmm. whatever, because each individual relationship should be different, should be Mm -hmm. nuanced. And so that's where, that's where I'm a little bit different than, than some lawyers because I don't actually don't like templates. Um, but yes, <laughs> I, I do, I do start with, with existing contracts. Uh, most of the time I'm getting them sent to me from the bigger companies. If you were using mm. a template, I could see artists getting a little annoyed if, if you forgot to cut and paste properly and a previous artist is listed on, on their contract <laughs> while you're working through it. I cannot confirm or deny whether that's ever happened to me. <laughs> Actually, um, it, it, it has happened to me. Um, it, you know, what I do is I will do, I'll go, oh, I liked this language from this contract that I did for Artist X. And then Artist yes. Y had something really cool here. And I will start copying and pasting. Um, before, when I was a pure solo and I did not have a staff, some of those proofreadings and uh that has happened, but you know what? It's also happened to, I know record companies that have sent contracts to me and I'm like, Hey, you've got the wrong artist listed mm-hmm. and it, it just happens. <laughs> so percentage wise, your clients, who's, who do you represent more singers, songwriters, um, musicians, producers, Ooh. like man, uh, even spread? mostly songwriters and producers, artists, mm. Um, singers, recording artists, they need contracts less. Um, and I am, I am in a spot where I don't actually have a lot of independent artists. Um, I mostly have major label touring acts or acts that mm-hmm. were major label acts that are now doing an indie or with smaller labels or things like that. I have yeah. given my history as a songwriter and producer though, I mean, I have so many writers and producers. Wow. Now, speaking of, are you mm-hmm. still writing songs or I has am. that I, become a thing of I the took, past for you? 
No, I took the kind of three years to go to law school. Then I actually took a, another year to actually learn how to be a lawyer. And not that I've got that down, but it's better than yeah. not taking the time. Um, mm-hmm. But I am writing. I am now part. I am the chair of the sports and entertainment division of a of a firm where I run the you know sports and entertainment side. There are three lawyers in that division. But my okay. firm is very... Um, I would, I'm not even going to say supportive, insistent that I continue writing mm-hmm. songs. It sets That's me apart. Awesome. It sets me apart from other lawyers that I am still in the game and right. I had decent success as a songwriter. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, you know, it's so I am, I'm playing lawyer three to four days a week and songwriter one to two. I just got pulled out, <laughs> of, out of production retirement to produce a song for somebody a couple weeks ago. So, See? yeah. And you know, Still doing and, it. All right. and and as a songwriter, as a songwriter, the nice thing is, if you ever need a lawyer, <laughs> I got it down. <laughs> you know, I, I did a I did a writing camp for a, for a new uh, a new younger up and coming artist that um, that that I just I like as an artist, and so I did a songwriting camp for him the other day, and I was like, hey, hey, all you other twelve writers and producers, here's my card. <laughs> <laughs> Sure enough. (laughs) Nice plug. I'd like to chat a little bit about copyright, especially copyright infringement when it comes to the music industry, because we've heard a lot about that in the last few years where, uh, you know, somebody has stolen a bit of Aisha's song and and put it into another song (laughs) and not giving her credit. And, you know, that person's doing very well. They're making the royalties on it. She's not seeing anything. How often have you come across that and how, you know, what involvement do you, do you have in that? Well, from the creative side, all I do is still Aisha songs. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, no, um, <laughs> so, you know, it's a tricky thing. Um, it's a tricky thing in that I am a creative and I am also a lawyer. And so this, this question I get asked all the time. And so there, there's, there is letter of the law, and then there is what actually happens in practice in the music industry. Mm-hmm. And then the other layer of um, some attorneys take the, the stance of, well, I don't actually care if it, if it was stolen or wasn't stolen. What I care is what I can convince a jury of and how much money I can get. Right. So um, there are there are a lot of layers to that question. I will say, I don't think actual stealing of songs occurs as often as we think it does. What mm-hmm. I do think is there are eight to ten to fifteen subjects that most songwriters write about, right. and it is easy to have a lot of the same phrasing, same uh, analogies, same um, setting up the same scenes and songs or whatever. And mm-hmm. then, then you can either consciously or subconsciously find very similar melodies because in, in right. a given key, there are only so many chords you can play and only so many um, melodic choices. Then on top of yeah. that, on top of that, in those progressions, um, there's actual science to the way those progressions 
um, are pleasing to a listener's ear. And Mm -hmm. so we default to kind of the same, the same (laughs) routine progressions. Yeah. So, um, and, and I know this is a long answer to your question, but there is, there are some things where it's like, uh, did you actually steal it or are they just similar? Okay. Right. And, right. But legally and what you can convince a jury of sometimes, that doesn't matter. It matters. Mm. Hey, someone already had a copyright, a, a protected copyright in place, and you may or may not be intentionally infringing on them, but that doesn't matter. You can still be infringing on them, right? It's it's mm. the whole thing of I didn't mean to rear end you <laughs> out in the Target parking lot, but I did. Right, right, right. right. So um, yes, I see it happen. That can get hairy. Um, My goodness, and it can it can get really hairy, and 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 it does happen. Uh, it's happened to me. It's happened to me from friends where hey, mm-hmm. I pitched this song to you, and three years later you blow up with another song that's almost identical, and I'm like, I don't think you actually <laughs> right. meant to steal it. It was probably right. just floating around in the back of your head. I mean, it's happened to me. My wife would come into the studio and go, oh, you were listening to Bruno Mars today. I was like, oh, right. does that sound like Bruno? Right? <laughs> or whatever. Um, and so it, it it can just happen. It doesn't necessarily have to be malicious, but it also doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Right. Does that answer your question? Yeah. I mean, what you're saying or what I'm hearing is is – if you're really good at music and the science behind music, there's often chances where your music may sound similar to someone else's, whether it be lyrically sure or, or melodically or whatever else. Mm-hmm. I, and so, yeah, that can get very, very complicated. And and uh, you could see a lot of people getting very upset, I suppose, if they think their stuff's being copied. Do you ever get mm-hmm. involved in situations where somebody wants to intentionally lift or borrow something from another song and give them the credit for it? Do you get involved in, I guess, negotiations with that other artist? Yes. Well, um, it. It de- I'm actually doing that right now where I'm helping a sample clearance. Um, typically, that's reserved for the the record label to handle um, because they want to release the music, so they need to clear that mm-hmm. sample. Or, or, But there are times when it's, when it's an independent artist that, yes, you do have to clear the sample. And, you know, and that what the original song wants uh, is directly proportionate to how big that song was. You know what I mean? Mm. Like if I, if gotcha. I want to sample, you know, I don't know the Beatles yesterday, they're going to take a much bigger portion than if somebody wants to sample a song of mine that was with an indie artist that sold, you know, 200 copies. Right. Right. Now in situations where the label is, is managing that process, does, does word ever get back to the artist to, to let them know, Oh, by the way, we gave permission to this person to sample part of your song. Uh, yeah. It, it usual. Uh, well, artist, I don't know the artist team. Yeah. Likely. Um, it, it depends again, that can depend on the artist. You know what I mean? Uh, could depend on the, uh, level of artist. Um, and their relationship with the label. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, most times I would say that gets back to them because they want to negotiate the price and the percentage they get of the new recording. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. This is really, really, really 
interesting it's stuff. It's so good, isn't it? it? Yeah, like this is this is uh, stuff that you would never hear about. Uh, I well, not not very often as well. So you you also handle uh, you said sport sports figures and and people like that. Like what what do you get involved with as, as so, far as that? Is that just contract stuff again or? It's all yeah, it's all contract stuff. Mostly it is endorsements. Um, endorsements appearances things like that uh commercials i have i've yet to do any like major um major like uh contract for like a major major baseball team or or football team like that anything like that i've done some endorsement things i've worked with some that are um doing new entertainment ventures um i have a client who is a major league baseball coach who's doing a podcast working with him. I have uh, actually a motocross rider who is a client and doing his contracts with, you know, uh, all the endorsements, things like that. So, uh, and then some NIL things, name, image, and likeness, likeness, um, things for college athletes is something that's Mm -hmm. on my radar right now that I have a couple of potential clients in in the works there as well. That's exciting, Aaron. You know, uh, it's so fun. It's, it's it's such a joy to hear about your journey. And, um, you know, I can remember just being in rooms and writing rooms and coming up with songs with you. And now to hear you on the other end of the spectrum and being able to do what you love to do and still write songs. And you're still in Nashville. Would you ever consider being in any other city um so you know yes i would the thing is really i love nashville i do love nashville yeah. my yeah. i have a i have a wife i have a 12 year old daughter um who is very she plugged in into <laughs> i know <laughs> uh, well she'll be 12 in, in two weeks so 11 year old almost 12 year old daughter um I love Nashville. I love the way Nashville works. I mm-hmm. love the writing community. I'm here to serve the writing community. Um, yeah. But even as a songwriter, Aisha, I, I think you would agree with this. Even as a songwriter, I was a little different as a songwriter. I mm-hmm. cared about mm-hmm. the, the business side. I cared about the contracts. I cared about my success. I say this all the time. My success as a songwriter was always tied to someone else's success. I'm never a successful songwriter if the artist wasn't successful. And it's right. the exact same thing as it's the exact same thing as an attorney. I'm not mm-hmm. successful if my clients are aren't successful. Yes, there there's a there's a pull to possibly New York, possibly LA, whatever, but mm-hmm. I love the community in Nashville. I love that when New York and LA artists want the best songs, they're coming here. And I'm so deeply rooted in all areas of music, but my most of my success as a writer was in the faith-based market. And mm-hmm. while I can see myself in other cities, Nashville's home. I love it. Yeah, I hear you. Was there a transition for you when, obviously as a writer in Nashville, uh, transitioning to the lawyer stuff, um, was there a transition where you, you were still writing because that's how you paid the bills? Or did you immediately get signed on to uh, a firm that, you know, let you do your stuff? You know, I did a couple of things. Um, when I was in law school, I was writing because it still paid the bills. I was lucky and fortunate enough to have had 
decent enough success as a songwriter to to still have royalties. Um, this is a, a big thing in the songwriting world. I recouped my publishing deal right when I was going to law school, which meant my mailbox money, my royalties were go- was going to increase because I was no longer paying back um, the publishers. Right. So that was that afforded me the ability to focus on school. Um, I basically did one or two custom projects a year as a producer to, mm. to, to pay for school. Kind so, of funny, um, yeah. Yeah, did a, did a couple of little side hustles, things like that. Um, so I transitioned pretty smoothly straight into uh, a legal career. What I was afraid of was when I graduated from law school, how was I going to make this work? So mm. uh, I went solo. I actually, I went to a larger firm that uh, primarily focused on copyright litigation. And I lasted mm. eight weeks. That's a whole different story. Um, this isn't fun. It was a whole different story. And, uh, but, you know, I lasted eight weeks for a couple of reasons. One, I was a songwriter and uh, some of the copyright litigation stuff gets really tricky when you are dealing with people that you know on each side. Wow. Um, so th- I was unsettled with with some of that stuff. Two... I knew my best use would be sitting down with a writer saying, how can we protect and grow your career? And I wasn't going to be able to do it there. Three, more importantly, I had been self-employed for 20 years. Going to work Mm -hmm. for somebody was way different. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. And just not not for me. I mean, just plain and simple. So um, I went solo immediately and I was scared to death. I was like, are people mm. going to want me? Or, but I ended up getting um, calls from people that were co-writing friends or producer friends. And, you know, with songwriters and, and artists, you're doing one record deal, one uh, publishing deal every three to five years. So it's not mm-hmm. like I'm doing, it's not like, you know, Taylor Swift's doing a new record deal every year. Not that I have Taylor Swift, right, but right. you know what I mean? It's not like any artist <laughs> is doing a new record deal every year. Um, sure. But what happened was I got a couple people call. And the other thing that was very important to me was I did not want to poach clients from other attorneys. Mm-hmm. So I have friends, still great friends that use other attorneys because that yes. they've been with them for years. And that's fine. Right. With me. Like it's absolutely fine. So I didn't want to get there. I was scared to death. It wasn't going to work. I got a mm. couple and then um, I really leaned into, Hey, songwriters i am one of you and also a lawyer and it has exploded in the last year and a half niche market busier yes it very much is and yeah i'm busier than i ever could have dreamed that's so awesome percentage wise how many people do you have um that you work for that are in the christian community so uh that's actually been growing um Mm. Funnily enough, it didn't happen. I, it, country really gravitated toward me very quickly. I think part wow. of that is um, I got I got an artist and did her record deal rather quickly and soon. And um, I think that I think also uh, there are friends of mine that that live in both worlds, the country and Christian music world, mm. and the people that needed lawyers at the time were all in country. Also, 
Well, unfortunately, the people that can afford lawyers and good lawyers are mostly in country, um, mm-hmm. which is a sad state of reality, but it is. But I represent an artist that I was a writer producer for before um, he just did the TV show, The Voice. And when he got off The Voice this past season, we got him signed to Capital Christian, and mm. it, which is where I was signed as a songwriter. And the A&R guy mm-hmm. and I were talking, mm-hmm. he was like, I just can't believe you're a lawyer. Well, then it just started, referrals started happening. So in the last probably two months, it went from about 70% outside of Christian to almost 50-50. Um, wow. The Christian market, the Christian market's like, oh yeah, you still exist. And you're, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but I did, I fell off the planet for three years. I mean, law school is not easy, especially when you right. haven't been in school for 20 years. So right. it went from probably 70, 30 uh, outside faith-based music to, to you know, 30% in. It's probably getting close to 50-50 now. Were you a little concerned when it was 70% country at the time? Like they always say in any business and any uh, operation, you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket, right? Uh, no, because I knew I, – I, I know the Christian music world so well. I knew um, – one, it's just a smaller market. I knew that was going to be a slower build yeah. because most of the people already had lawyers. And again, I was not trying to you know, poach clients. The other thing yeah. is um, the billable hours in country. There are just so many more country artists. Um, so I financially and from a business perspective, purely business perspective, country and pop was a good good move to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for sure. I didn't have the, I didn't <laughs> I didn't have a lot of those contacts. Um, I mean, I had some of them, but in the Christian market, I, I have all of that in my phone. In the country and pop world, I was still growing. You know, I knew 10% of the people in, right. in Christian music. I knew 90% of the decision makers. Yeah. So I needed yeah. I needed to go outside and grow that business. Well, get ready for the pop industry. <laughs> I know. Outside I know. of country Trust me, I... and outside of Christian. Get ready for the pop. Yep. <laughs> yep. So what happens when you get too busy? Like, what do you take on more people or... or um... Like, obviously, there's a certain capacity you were mentioning, billable hours. There's only so much you can bill with your time. Uh, what happens when you get to the point where I can't do all this? I'm, I'm working too many hours. Your wife's going to freak on you. Yes, <laughs> that is <laughs> going to. Um, oh, so, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's funny is uh, it's funny you mentioned that. So in April of this year, I was at that point. I was at the point, and this isn't necessarily a a lawyer thing as much as a business thing where it's like, whoa, I've got too much work for myself, Mm. but I'm not quite at the financial threshold to hire. Right. Right. That's where I was. Mm -hmm. That's so I actually merged my practice with a smaller firm that works mainly with tech startups. They do business IP uh, patent work. They had no entertainment division, but they wanted an entertainment division. Wow. So it made sense. It made sense for us to partner. So they took a lot of my infrastructure, which really, really helped a lot. Then um, I just now we are just at the point of looking at possibly hiring an assistant or paralegal for me. So we are, I mean, it's growing, it's growing rapidly. Um, but we, we are at the point of of possibly having to hire soon. 
So, um, wow. but it's, it's funny being an entertainment lawyer is not as glamorous as people think it is. It is a lot of contracts. Right. And if, if, if I tell people when you come, when they're coming out of law school, if you want to go hang out with artists and hang out with musicians or whatever, be a manager. Cause <laughs> yeah. I'm not always doing right. that. Cause you're stuck I, in I an office. Lo- you're stuck in an office right. sitting behind the desk and looking at your computer. Like, well, and I get to a little bit because of my history, right? I, you know, right. there's not many lawyers that artists are sending music to and say, hey, give me some mix notes as well. But so I'm doing, mm-hmm. but, you know, how many lawyers are going to talk to you about your snare sound? But right. the other thing is, um, <laughs> it's, it's just, not, it's a different type of law. So um, I'm looking at quite possibly in the near future, bringing in somebody who can handle the actual nuts and bolts of the contract and let me yeah. be out negotiating and getting deals because a lot of what mm-hmm. a lawyer does in the entertainment space is agent work. We're actually connecting yeah. pieces together, playing sure. agent, um, and connecting this writer with this artist and this producer and right. th- with this label to, to further everybody's career. Do you get involved at all? And I suspect the answer is no, but do you get involved at all in writers, artist writers, or is that more of a record label you, thing? Usually that's a, like a booking Management, agent thing. Yeah. I, right. You know what? I haven't, I haven't done a single one. Okay. Now that you say that, um, <laughs> I probably should. Well, should it's, probably it's somewhat like, contractual. It's just not. It's right. It's the artist's um, contract with whoever they're going to be performing for or with. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, put those jelly beans on there. But have you, right. any, have you had any, any weird requests like from artists that you represent? I guess artists specifically, where they've had some weird stuff they want in the contract. Because obviously, you're working for their best interest have have they you know mentioned some stuff that is just kind of quirky that you'd never thought would be in a contract so a lot of that stuff i i, I can't give specifics okay. um no, just can't get the inside privilege wow. yeah but sure. i will say probably 80 percent of my day is telling <laughs> some client no you can't do that. Nope, I can't do that. <laughs> still no, still no, no, no. Like I, I, I just want to sample my vocal. Nope, 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 nope. Um, it, it's like even uh, we all want what is our best advantage, right? So we're all right. looking for how can I put this in the contract? I'm just like no, 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 mm-hmm. still no. <laughs> but yes, I've had I've had some odd requests where I'm like. Okay, we can ask for that. They're not, nobody's agreeing to that. And if the shoe were reversed, I would not agree to that on your behalf. So, yes, I've definitely had some odd requests. Yeah, sorry we can't get into That's details neat. and specifics. That'd be I so love, nice. I'd love you know. to share. You know, yeah. that was. The, the I mean, you don't have to worry because pod- no, I won't tell anybody. Like, right, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, one of the one of the most. Um, one of the the biggest adjustments for me becoming a lawyer was going home having to tell my wife oh i can't tell you what like oh i can tell you gosh. what i did today i did a record deal that's about all you get you know what i mean like i can't wow that and yeah. that's that's been a, yeah, that's a, tough. a different thing yep you can't even tell her tell her who the client is oh i can tell her yeah i can oh, tell okay, her okay. clients and i can you know sometimes i can tell her who the other party is you know she knows my clients and she knows, right. you know, oh, I'm excited for client A, B. And so many of my clients were friends of mine before I was a lawyer that they're texting <laughs> her going, did Aaron tell you? And I'm like, no, Aaron didn't, but right. you can. You right, know? right. Aaron can't, but That's you can. Funny. That's right. 
Oh, or man. I'll, you know, I'll be on the phone with them. They'll call and I'll be in the car with my wife and I'm like, Hey, you're on speakerphone. She is here. <laughs> you have to know that before you start talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, uh, what a privilege getting to chat with you, Aaron. This has been an, a, really an enlightening conversation. Like I say, we've never had a lawyer on the podcast before, so this has been great. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll have some artists that li- that listen and we'll be dialing you up and, you know, wanting to do some business with you. And, you know, hopefully. Go- and, and on the flip side, maybe, you know, you hear of people that want to do endorsements with us and they want to give us a pile of money or something. That'd be great, too. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, I'm going to I'm going to take the time to do something publicly to Aisha. Aisha, you have yes, to promise. Sir. I just started um, my own podcast that is redefining success for the creative. And oh, it is wow. about it is about not looking at chart position or record sales, but how do we fuel ourselves to keep going for the creative? So mm. you have to trade and you have to trade and come back and and sit with hey, me on that. You j- anytime, anytime. All right, deal. I think I had to do it in public. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think creatives in general need to know that. Songwriters, yeah. artists need to know that because there's so much focus. And I guess part of it is because you know they're they're uh, they're looking at how am I going to survive in this industry because it's cutthroat sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's ever yeah, and, and they're getting changing. the pressure from the record label and and mm-hmm. you know pressure from wherever else to to be successful. And and unfortunately, if that's the gauge you're using for success. Um, yeah, it, it might be a little too much. Yeah, sorry for the shameless plug, but I also need need to no, have no, it in no. public that Aisha's going to join us. <laughs> right, right. Yes, indeed. So, that's awesome. That's yeah. great. Listen, yeah, <laughs> you don't understand. I, I am so so very excited. I'm I'm just like proud little sister over here, and we're just <laughs> cheering you on, man. You have no idea. We're cheering you on so much. Well, we go back. We, d- we definitely do. Indeed. Thanks again, uh, Aaron. Appreciate your time, and uh, happy selling. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Take care. <laughs> You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Incredible conversation. Um, I just hope he's not going to mail us a bill for that, you know? <laughs> you better not. <laughs> exactly. That's that's some pro bono work right there. Yeah, it better be. It better be. Yeah. Hey, listen, this podcast is free to anybody to listen to, and so hopefully he feels the same way and is offering his time for free as well. <laughs> yes, indeed. So who do we have for uh, some artist advice this week? Uh, I think you said Aaron Schust. Shall we see what Aaron Schust has to say? Sure, why not? I love Aaron. I'm just going to say this now. Before we even listen to his his advice, I know it's going to be good, but um, I love Aaron because he is genuine. And he's been that way from the time I met him, like many, many years ago. So let's see what Aaron has to say. If I was sitting down with a new artist or an established artist, I think we're all guilty of you know thinking erroneously, myself included. I would say that one of the most pivotal thoughts that I've had in the past few years is the idea that instead of every action I take, I'm talking professionally and musically, uh, instead of the heart behind that action being, I hope this expands my audience or I hope this expands my fan base, my following, instead, let every action be for the purpose of deepening that fan base, uh, feeding, we talked about earlier, feeding that fan base. That applies to everything. When I'm posting a, a photo of 
my son. I've got a 10 year, uh, he's going to be 10 in January with uh, Michael with Down syndrome. And he's adorable. And the people who follow me on social media, they love when I post photos of Michael. But even when I post any photo and I say what I say in the caption, in the back of my mind, it could be one of two things. It could either be, I hope this gives me more followers. Or uh, instead, if I can be like, hey, there are people, X number of people who are following me already. What can I say to them through this picture that's going to help increase their hope for today? What's going to lift them up? What's going to draw them to the feet of Jesus? What's going to challenge them? What's going to feed them? So feed the people. And that's kind of like a bloom where you're planted type of a comment. You know, God's given you uh, an audience, a sphere of influence. Tend to your sphere of influence and don't worry about the people that God has not given you to take care of. Aaron, thank you so much for that advice, man. It, it, it just mirrors your heart and the fact that you encourage us to do what matters most. Um, we have so many tools and, and resources at our disposal. And when it comes down to it, it's a matter of how we use those tools. Social media in particular. And we're just here to point people to Jesus and you do it so well. So thank you for that. Well, that is it. We are out of time, Aisha. It is time for us to go. Um, I'm going to finish my coffee here and then go off and do some social media stuff. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You can try and get more followers. Yeah, that's my goal. That's my goal. Can I tell you, you know, you know me well enough to know that that social media is not a big priority in my life. And it it is important, as you say, to point people in the right direction. But but I certainly don't spend the the hours that I'm sure many other people do. And I'm not talking about artists. I'm talking about just people, friends and family that I know where they just spend so much time on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. And it's like, yeah, I got other stuff to do. Like I got other priorities, right? And you have a life. (laughs) Yeah. And so I would rather be experiencing life and enjoying life than, than not. And then as, as Aaron said, you know, having the stress of, I hope it worked and I hope it achieves what I'm wanting to, wanting it to achieve. Right. Mm -hmm. If it's more followers or whatever else, I just don't care. Like, Right. <laughs> with all due respect. Listen, I'm right there with you. Yeah. So. <laughs> so there you go. That is it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Between the Grooves. Thanks for listening to Faith Strong Today's Between the Grooves podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, would you consider sharing it with your friends, rating our podcast, or giving us some love on your socials to your amazing friends and followers will only help us reach more people. We'd also love to hear from you and share your feedback in an upcoming episode. Send your video or written message to Aisha and James on Facebook and Twitter at Between Grooves or email us anytime. Hello at faithstrongtoday.com.